Uh, we're going through the book of 1 Samuel, and uh, as we're walking through the book of 1 Samuel, yes, we're breaking up in different series. We started with the series of Samuel, and now we're talking about Saul, and, uh, and then we're going to talk about uh, King David. But through all of them, you're seeing Samuel, Saul, and David right now in the middle all connecting together. So, you know, yeah, we're going to talk about Samuel because Samuel's still in the story, uh, but we're still now we're focusing on Saul. Uh, just kind of a really fast review. You saw that uh, when we started the book of Saul that they wanted a king. And uh, Samuel didn't necessarily want to give him a king. Uh, but he gave him a king because God says give them a king. And then last week we talked about Saul. You know, we went through three chapters and we talked about Saul. It's like things are working out. And people are saying, you know, how could you say that a king's not a bad idea? This is, this is a great idea. Well, this morning we're going to talk about um, Samuel um, giving his farewell speech. And um, as he's uh, given his farewell speech, I think you'll see the different emotions that he has as he's giving the speech. But as he's given the speech, we broke the sermon up into different, four different sections. This awkward speech, because you'll see it's going to be a little awkward. What Samuel knows, what Samuel doesn't know, and then what we need to know. And that's what our sermon um, is going to be about. But before we get into this farewell speech that Samuel gives, I want to go back into uh, chapter 8. Uh, when this conversation about a king is starting to come out. So if we look at uh, Samuel chapter 8, it's not uh, in your notes, but it'll be up on the screen. 8, 5 through 7, we see this. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. This is Israel, God's people, talking. But this thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. I want to look at verse 6. Maybe we can even put it back up on the screen. But the thing displeased Samuel. In other living translation, it says this. The thing made Samuel very upset, terribly upset is the way that they translate the word displeased. And the message says, and this crushed Samuel that they wanted to king. The Young's literal translation is taken right from the Hebrew, says, it is evil in the eyes of Samuel that they wanted a king. The HCSB says, considered the demand sinful that they wanted a king. Samuel reacted to this request extremely aggressive. If you look at the Hebrew word, the Hebrew word means wicked in the eyes of Samuel that they wanted a king. He considered the demand that they wanted a king wrong. If you look at the definition, this will do an injury or hurt in the eyes of the Samuel for the request of asking for a king. In other words, in our English language, it, it ticked him off. Why? Because it's not gonna work. <laughs> Samuel has common sense. This isn't going to work. I mean, what is a king? A king is a supreme ruler, an ultimate judge, and a royal master. A supreme ruler, think about this. Samuel did not want a king because he said, God is your king. God is the supreme ruler, but if you put a man on earth who is the supreme ruler, what's that gonna do with God? If you put a man on the earth that's a supreme ruler, why would this man, being a sinful individual, 
submit to God as the supreme ruler if he's the supreme ruler. Because supreme ruler means exactly what it is, the supreme one. But if you put a man there, he's not the supreme one. God is the supreme one. A man, I mean, this is the way Samuel thinks, is that a man who will take the position of king will take it away from God because it will go to his head. And as soon as it goes ahead that I am the king, then I need no other. And why would a king submit to a king of the kings? He knew it was going to mess everything up. A man who is king is going to demand worship. But he's not supposed to demand worship. God's the only one who's supposed to have worship. But if you put somebody in a position as a royal master, what's he going to do to his people? Well, look at me as the royal master. It's not the way it's supposed to work. He's supposed to look at God as the royal master, not to look at man as the royal master. See, Samuel knew this wasn't going to work. The reason why, another reason why I knew it was going to work is because they wanted a king like all the other nations. What does that king look like? The king is the judge. The king is the master. The king is the ultimate authority, and there's no other. So if you look at the king and the other nations, there is no peasant person that walks up to the king and says, Yes, you are my king, but I actually worship the king above the other kings, above you. I worship, I worship the king that's over you. I worship the king that's over all the kings. How do you say that to a king? I worship, I know you're my king, I know you're it, I know the buck stops on you, but I worship the one above you. Because he's the king of kings and he's the Lord of lords. Therefore, you pretend like you're my master, but you're actually not my master. He is my master. What happens if you start speaking to a king like that? You take your head right off. I mean, if the king is the ultimate master, he's going to act like he's the ultimate master. And any peasant that walks up to him and says, you're not the ultimate master, will be killed. I mean, people ask the question, why is there a a bloodbath in the Ultimate Testament. Well, the reason why there's a bloodbath in the Ultimate Testament uh, is because there's kings <laughs> that are in charge in the Old Testament, and you don't mess with them. So Samuel knows this isn't going to work, but he's going to have to give a speech. <laughs> and his speech is, I'm going to die, and after I'm dead, there will be a king in charge of you, not a prophet We'll give you direction. There will be a king in charge of you. Now, before Samuel's speech, he knows that the world is going to be listening to this speech. And he knows that this is going to be a disaster. So if he knows it's going to be a disaster, 200, 300, 400, 500 years down the road, they're going to look back and they're going to say, well, who put this king in? So Samuel's got to think of this speech that's going to be appropriate to the people because he knows that it'll never be forgotten. I have a speech that I'll never forget. Had it as in fifth grade. I needed to memorize the preamble to the Constitution. You guys know the preamble to the Constitution? We, the people of the United States, in order to form a perfect union, establish justice, share domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense. You guys know that? You guys should know that. I learned that in fifth grade. Well, why do I know it? It's because I was going to be made to stand in front of people and quote it. And so what did I do? As I memorized it, I usually didn't do my homework, but if I have to stand in front of people, I have to memorize it. So I knew it from inside and out. And in fifth grade, I'll never forget, I can just picture myself right now standing in front of the class. And as soon as I walked up there, my mind went blank. 
and there's nothing but a silence in the room. And it was an awkward silence. So awkward that a fifth grade girl was sitting in the front row, looked at me and said, we. And I looked at her and go, we. <laughs> and then I looked back, I said, the. <laughs> and she did, people. I go, people of the, yeah, every single word, United State, states. I mean, I was a f complete failure. And I remember after that speech, I sat down and said, I know it. We, the people of the United States, and we're for perfect. I still haven't got it out of my mind because I want to go back in the fifth grade. I want to prove myself that I knew it. Remember that speech? Same as going to give the same speech. <laughs> we're going to read it from the Bible from here on out. It's a speech that he knows will bring destruction to a nation. But he has to give the speech because God says it. So what do you say when you don't know what to say? Well, Samuel said, what everybody say when they don't know what to say? I didn't do it. <laughs> you see that in verse 1. And Samuel said to all Israel, behold, I have obeyed your voice in all that you have said to me and have made a king over you. And now behold, the king walks before you, and I'm old and gray, and behold, my sons are with you. I have walked before you from my youth until this day. Here I am, testify against me before the Lord and before his anointed. Whose ox have I stolen? Nobody's. Whose donkey have I taken? I didn't do it. Or whom have I defrauded? I haven't defrauded anybody. Whom have I oppressed? Or from whose hand have I taken a bribe by my eyes with it? Testify against me and I will restore it to you. <laughs> Samuel saying, I didn't do it. It's gonna be a mess, but I didn't do it. And I want you to get it on paper and put it in the word of God that I didn't do it because I'm gonna get accused of this down the road when it turns really sour and they're gonna look at me as the one who did it. I want this on paper. Therefore, the people looked at Samuel and he said, they said, you have not defrauded us or oppressed us or taken anything from man's hand. And then Samuel said to them, the Lord is a witness against you and his anointed is a witness this day that you have not found anything in my hand. They said, he is the witness. What's going on? Samuel goes, oh. I have a clean state, slate, and everybody signed it, that I am clean for these people. So when they look at the word Samuel, they will know that I did everything right. So the rest of the speech, I can say anything I want to say. So he started off the speech by saying, you idiots. <laughs> Samuel said to the people, the Lord witnessed those who appointed Moses and Aaron and brought your fathers out of the land of Egypt. Now therefore stand still that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous deeds and that the Lord that he performed before you and for your fathers. When Jacob went to Egypt and the Egyptians oppressed them, then your fathers cried out to the Lord and the Lord sent Moses and he sent Aaron who brought your fathers out of Egypt, made you dwell in this place. But as soon as they got out, they forgot the Lord again. So what did God do? He sold them into the hands of Caesarea. It's going to happen again. Commander of the army of the Hazar, and into the hands of the Philistines, and into the hands of the king of Moab. And they fought against them. And the way they do again, they cried out to the Lord for help. 
And the Lord said, we have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and have served the Baals and the Astras, but now deliver us out of the hand of the enemies that we may serve you. And then God comes forward again and the Lord sent Jeroboam which is Gideon, and he sent Barak, and he sent Jephthah, and then he also sent me, and then all of a sudden you were delivered, you out of the hands of the enemies on every side, and you completely lived in safety. The system has worked. I mean, it's an ugly system. The system is, you guys always mess up, and then you cry, and God saves you. You mess up again, you cry, God saves you. You mess up again, but how he saves you is he sends people to come and save you. What if you put a king on top of you and then you mess up and then the king messes up? You got nothing but a disaster. The system worked. Why would you ask for a different System. I know it was an ugly system, but God is gracious and no king is going to be gracious. Why would you ask for another system? I didn't do it. You idiots, you did it, which we find in verse 12. And when he saw the Nash, the king of the Ammonites came against you. You said to me, no, but a king shall reign over us. When the Lord, your God is the king. Why? Would you say you want a man when God is the king? And then verse 13, and now behold the king whom you have chosen for whom you have asked for that I anointed, behold, the Lord has set a king over you. Why would he do that? You see the tension that's going on? Samuel knows destruction marks Israel's way, but he can't shout it out too loud and the reason why is because God said yes. <laughs> so it's like, why did you ask? God, why did you say yes, but you're not at fault because you're God. Why did you ask for him to say yes? Samuel's struggling. The reason why he's struggling because in his side of his mind, he knows that there is only one way that this is gonna work. One way, and he mentions it in the next verse. The only way this is gonna work is if you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord. And if both you and your king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. That's the only way it's going to work. <laughs> but he's a man. It's not gonna happen. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, and the hand of the Lord will be against you, and he will be against your king. Samuel knows it's not going to happen, so therefore he uses the word, therefore, stand still and see this great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. Is it not wheat harvest today? I will call upon the Lord that he may send thunder and rain and you shall know and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord, and asking yourself for a king. So Samuel called upon the Lord, and the Lord set thunder and rain that day, and all the people greatly feared the Lord and feared Samuel. Wow, we're in trouble. <laughs> all of a sudden you get the tone of the people. Oh, no. 
we're in trouble. We asked for a king, and it's all going good right now, but we asked for it, and God gave it to us. We see the response in 19. And all the people said to Samuel, as their voices turned, pray for your servants to the Lord your God, that we may not die. For we have added to all our sins this evil to ask for ourselves a king. God, we messed up. And you gave us what we asked for. And according to Samuel, and according to you and your power, we're going to end up paying the consequences for it. Samuel also changes his tone during this speech. He says, yeah, when it happens, don't forget God made a promise because it's gonna get ugly by putting a king in there. But don't forget that God has made a promise because this promise is the only hope you have. So in his mind, Samuel's mind, there's no way they're gonna get out of this one, but he's explaining to them, hang on to this one promise because this is the only thing that will get you out of this, on this promise. Samuel said to the people, do not be afraid. You have done all this evil. It's interesting. Don't be afraid. <laughs> you, you did all this evil. I mean, only God could say those words. There is only one hope. Do not turn aside from following the Lord. But serve the Lord with all your heart. And do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. Then he said something that every single one of us should take note of, because we often don't hang on to these words enough in our 21st century. Do not fear, the Lord will not forsake his people for his great namesake. Because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Just looking at this passage, this is the most wild, strong, powerful, meaty, encouraging passage you could possibly come up with. Do not be afraid, you have done evil. This is God speaking. Do not be afraid, you have done evil. Why would you not be afraid if you've done this horrific evil? Because there's gonna be bloodshed as a result of this king coming. But why would you be afraid and you've not done evil? And the reason why it's mentioned in the verse is because God has made a promise. God has made a promise. What's that promise? That the Lord will not forsake his people. Remember the promise he gave to Abraham? He had a promise to Abraham that I'm not gonna forsake my people. Is God gonna break the promise? The answer is no, and you find the reason in the verse. I will not break the promise for my name's sake. I'm not saving you for your behavior. I'm not saving you for your actions. I'm not saving you because you're stupid. I'm not saving you because you're a sinner. I, I am saving you for the sake of my name, I made a promise, and that a promise is attached to my name. So if you ask me to forgive your sins, your sins will be forgiven, why? Because you deserved it? No, I'll forgive your sins for the sake of my name. When I get to heaven, I look at God. God, why'd you save a wretch like me? He's gonna look at me, it's not because of you, Mike. <laughs> it's for the, my namesake. I made a promise. And as a result of that promise, it will be done or my name will be ruined if it is not. Think of Samuel's mind. 
They asked for a king. God gave them a king. He sees nothing but bloodshed as a result. But in his farewell speech, he's saying, I do not know how this is gonna work and it's not gonna work out very good. I know it's not gonna work out very good and I've done the math and I can't even see how it could work out very good. But never forget this one promise. God will not forget you in regards for his namesake. Then he closes off his speech by saying, I'll continue to do what I'm supposed to do. You do the same. If you don't... (laughs) Your history. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. And I will instruct you in the good and the right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. And then his speech is over. I want to break it, this next section up, and just, what does Samuel know? <laughs> that is an awkward speech. What's going on in his mind? What does Samuel not know? And what should we know? This is what Samuel knows. If a man is a king, his kingship will go to his head and most likely turn from God. <laughs> he knows that. Is he right? I mean, if Samuel... Right? Is this statement right? Well, let's just talk about history a little bit. You got Saul who's a king. Then you have David a king, a man after God's own heart. And then Solomon is a king. And then you have the dividing of the nation. The king split. You have 12 tribes of Israel. You have 11 go to one side. And then you have one Judah going to the other side. So God's people now has two different sections. Under these two sections, there's 20 kings of Israel. And there's also 20 kings of Judah. In fact, here's a list of them right here. This is all the kings under God's people right here. Judah has those 20 kings. Israel has those 20 kings. Let's ask a question. Because this is a 400-year period of God's people. How, out of 40 kings... There's 40 kings up there. Out of 40 kings of Israel and Judah, God's people, how many were bad? (laughs) Here's the answer, 32. 32 were bad. Out of 400 years, 32 were bad. How many were good? Only eight. If a man is a king, his kingship will go to his head and most likely turn from God. Did you know our forefathers knew that as well? (laughs) They knew that if they put one man in charge of America, it would go to his head and everything would go sour. So what do they do? They built Congress, they built the Senate, and they put the president, three areas of power, spread out all the way across between all the states as they sent them to the Congress and to the Senate because America understood the Bible. You put one person in, it's just gonna go ugly. Sam, you knew the same thing, it's common sense. Number two, if a man is a king for God, but turns away from God, everyone suffers. Samuel knew that. Was he right? You know, after 400 years, they went into exile. God's people went into exile. Why did they go into exile? The historians and the theologians believe it's because of the kings. By implementing the kings. When you implement the kings, it went south. Because if the king goes sour, what happens? The people are gonna go sour. Remember who the king's supposed to be? It's supposed to be God. But if you put a man there, it messes everything up. Something else Samuel knows. If God wants a man to be a king, the only way it will work is if the man is perfect. In other words, this can work. 
as long as the man is perfect. Because if you have a perfect 40 men leading the country, I'll tell you what's going to happen, success. I'll tell you what's going to happen. Great things is going to happen because a king is perfect. And as he's perfect, he's going to lead people in a direction that we're supposed to go. So if you have a man, yeah, it would work only if it was perfect. Before, I don't know if Samuel went to this thought pattern, but if a man is perfect, he would have to be God <laughs> because there's no man that's perfect. You know, we're working towards David. You know, David's going to get put in there, but David's not a perfect man, and that's the story you're going to get. You're not going to get a story. Be like David, because that's, that's not the story. He's not a, a perfect man. You like David when he kills Goliath, or you like David when he sleeps with Bathsheba. You know, when do we like David? If you put a, a king in there, he, the only way success is going to take place is if he's perfect. The only way he's perfect is if he's a man. So you have to have a God-man that is going to be your king. I don't know if Samuel's gone this far in his thinking, but if he's doing the math, this is the only way it's going to work. Number five, if a man is God and he died, then God died. If a man is a man, he's going to die. Is that correct? But if a man is a God-man and then he dies, then God died. (laughs) We don't have a God that radical. I mean, if, if Samuel's trying to figure this out on paper and say, you know, this whole kingship is just not going to work, and he pencils everything in, he could only pencil this direction. And if he pencils this direction in, he's going to say, no way, because God is not that radical. God's not radical. There's no way God would leave heaven, you know, like come to earth as a man, and then die, because that means God died. No way. Number six, God dies, his kingdom has no power because his people live on. Even if that happened, God left heaven, he came to earth as a man, and God died, then he's done. And he only had kingship for you know, however long he was on earth. And then his people are there without a king, and then they don't, they don't live on. So even if it got this radical and it got this crazy of God fixing his problems that he implemented in, it's still not going to work. It's impossible because God's not that radical. I'll tell you what Samuel did not know. He did not know these words from Paul. He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed in him the name above every name. He is the King of kings and he is the Lord of lords. And so the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven on earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God our Father. This happened a thousand years after Samuel's speech. Samuel, Samuel had no idea that this was going to happen. I don't think he could even conceive that something to this magnitude, that God would even do something like that. Leave heaven, come to earth, live a perfect life as a king because a king has to live a perfect life. Go to a cross 
and die at the cross. And what's happening when you're dying at the cross? Our sins are going upon his shoulders. Our wickedness is going upon his shoulders. Our evil is going on his shoulders. And then he goes to the grave paying the price and raises up again. And then he ascends into heaven, but he can ascend into heaven as king. Do you know why? Because in John 14, he says, it is good for me that I will go because if I go, the Holy Spirit will come and live in everyone who believes that my kingdom will live on. Samuel had no idea. I mean, when Samuel gets up to heaven, I just know his question he's going to ask. God, why didn't you tell me you were going to be this radical crazy? And why didn't you give me like Philippians 2? My speech wouldn't have looked so stupid. I could, have, I could have told them and they would have all believed it. God responded to him and said, I have people who have had it for 2,000 years in Scripture and they still don't believe it. They even have your story, Samuel. Think about this. They have your story and your stress of how is God going to fix this. And then they watch the, the ugliness of the kingships and the death and the bloodbath through the Old Testament and how their decision to want a king was completely wrong, even though I gave it to him, I still gave it to him, even though it was completely wrong. But then I bailed him out again, just like I bailed him out with Jacob, just like I bailed him out with Moses, just like I bailed him out with, I go all the way, Gideon, Jephthah, all those people that I mentioned in his speech. I bail him out again with the king of kings and lord of lords. And still people don't give a rip. In the 21st century in our world right now, is it because God's just too radical? Is it, is it because God's just too unbelievable? Oh, Samuel's thinking, if I just knew that. God's thinking, the world knows it. They still don't give a rip. What we need to know, number seven, when it looks like God doesn't know what he's doing, he knows what he's doing. <laughs> he's doing it. And it is right this is the story it took place a thousand years after the story of jesus christ took place a thousand years after samuel but samuel did the math and he did not understand why god would allow them to have a king he did not understand but do you know what samuel did even though he didn't understand he anointed a king because god told him to he anointed a king because God told him to. And no other reason. I'll anoint a king even though I don't understand it, but you told me to, so I'm just going to trust it, and I'll anoint him. Do you know what he's going to do in a couple weeks? He's going to anoint two kings. He's going to anoint another king. <laughs> now you're going to have two kings on earth. You're going to have David and Saul. What's going to happen? It's called soap opera. <laughs> I mean, when you have two kings, it's going to really get ugly as we're looking at this. But what does David or Samuel do? He still obeys when he doesn't have it figured out. When Samuel could not understand what God is doing, Samuel still trusted God and moved forward with it. Next thing we didn't know is that when you can't figure it out, God has it figured out. You know, we like look at the Bible and you know, we observe to see if God is somebody that we could accept. And so we, we, we start to question him. And some of the things that we question them is, you know, what about those people who never heard about Jesus? You know, what's going to happen with them? You know, well, I'm not going to do that. You know, I mean, if you can't give that answer, then, then God must be completely irrelevant. Why would a loving God send somebody to hell? 
Well, that's not a God that I would really like to associate myself with. So during my evaluation, I think I'll, I'll check out and say, I don't want that God. I will choose something else. Well, what? I, well, I don't know. What else is out there? Nothing's out there. Well, that doesn't make a difference. I'm not going to choose that one because I'm doing an evaluation on it. If God is God and so powerful, why is there so much suffering in the world? I want that figured out before I'd ever go to God. Now, I can give you theological answers. We can sit up here and give you theological answers every day, but the question you really need to ask, every one of us needs to ask, is, is there a God or is there not? And if there is a God, where are you going to get to know him? How do you know who he is? Did you know there's only one book that offers God? <laughs> it's the Bible. And all the other religions, they'll base themselves off the Bible. But this word of God introduces the world to God. Now, as you look at God, you don't get to make the decision, ah, do I like it? Do I not like it? You know, I can't really figure him out. Since I can't figure him out, maybe I'll choose him, maybe I will not. If he's God, he's God. If he's not, he's not. That's the decision you make. But if he's God, he's God, then he's king. You don't question it. <laughs> because if it doesn't look like he's got to figure it out, he's got to figure it out. What about people that don't know Jesus? He's kind of figured it out. What about pain and suffering? He's kind of figured it out. He's God. Number nine, when you don't like the way God does it, God likes the way he does it. There's a, a huge point into this entire um, um, series that we're kind of walking into. And uh, I mentioned it really heavy a couple of weeks ago. Is be careful what you ask for. God might give it to you. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And all of a sudden, we want, 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 we live, we live, we live, we live, we feed, we feed, we feed, we feed. What are we feeding? What are we living for? What are we wanting? We're wanting us to fill ourselves up and the world offers all these things and it's like, gimme, 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 gimme. When the Bible's crying out, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And if you keep on begging for it, I might give it to you, but whenever he gives it to you, what happened? Destruction works your way. For a thousand years after the kingships were put in place, bloodbath took place. Why? Because God gave you what they wanted. <laughs> That's why. He says, you want it? Okay. You can have it. You know, when you hear the words that, you know, God does not sovereign. In other words, I have a free will. If you hear the words that, well, no, the Bible says you don't have a free will, what do we do? We get mad. We get mad at God. He said, no, God, don't say that. I have a free will. Um, if the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked above all things, who can know it? If I have a free will, the biggest prayer I have is, God, please don't, please completely entirely micromanage me. <laughs> Just completely rule everything, decision I make. And think of the freedom if our prayers were like that. God, I don't know the answer. When I make a decision, God, my decision is probably wrong. Therefore, I'm going to make a decision. I'm begging you to micromanage my decision because you have my best interest in mind. See, what happens is that God has a way that he's doing it, and he likes the way he's doing it. And if we don't like the way he's doing it, we start fighting against God. But if he's doing it that way, just embrace it. You won't believe the freedom that you'll get. 
I mean, think about one way he's doing it. You cannot work your way up to salvation. You can't do it. I mean, that's the way he did it. How many people are trying to impress God enough to be saved? We're going to talk about this in two weeks. How many people are trying to impress God enough to be saved? Oh, most of the world. God's saying, you can't do it. You can't do it. Therefore, I did it. I left heaven. I came to earth. I died. I rose. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll be saved. It's a promise that's given to us. That's the way he does it, and that's the way he likes to do it. Think of the freedom we can have if we just say, God, just do it. God, I'll just take it. God, micromanage me. If I go into a hole, as a result of going into a hole, I want to open up your word to make sure that I am in the center still of doing what I need to do, and I ask that you just get me through as I walk with you. There's complete freedom in that. If you don't like the way God does it, he likes the way he does it. And it's exciting for him to save you the way that he has saved you. Just love him for it. God, thank you that you are the king of kings and that you are the Lord of lords. You have our best interest in mind. Therefore, when you have displayed all your power as king, you laid your life down on the cross for us to show us that you have our best interest in mind. Thank you, God, so much for that gift. I just pray that we'll believe it, God, that you have our best interest in mind. And when we question you and we, we fight against you and we threaten to not believe in you, I pray you convict us, God, and give us an understanding that you're on the throne and you know what you're doing and we are saved as a result of what you've given to us, not by what we could do.